This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, the aftermath of the journey of Pope Benedict XVI to Latin America. What is the impact of his trip on Mexico and Cuba? But first, we turn to Vanessa Jesus Gonzati, who has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. A top Cuban official says there are no prospects for political change on the island. The statement comes after Pope Benedict talked on Tuesday about renewal and a better society during his visit to Cuba. Let everyone know, whether they're near or far, that I have entrusted in God's mother the future of your country, that it moves forward through new paths of renovation and hope for the good of all Cubans. The Pope prayed, saying these words and talking about the country's future at a sanctuary in the little town of El Cobre. Marino Murillo, economic czar and vice president on the Council of Ministers, said later in the day that the country is shaking up its economy, but that there are no political reforms in sight. Most Cubans are Catholic, but fewer than 10% practice the faith. During Mass at a city close to Santiago on Monday, the Pope appealed to followers to build a renewed and more open society. A man yelled out a statement against the dictatorship and security agents took him away. Dissidents on the island are still trying to find out the man's identity. And the Pope ended his visit to the island on Wednesday. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez returned to Cuba to start radiotherapy treatment this week. After undergoing another surgery in Cuba last month, the Venezuelan leader had gone back to his country to state that he was in good shape. He briefly went back to Caracas Thursday and will be back on the island this weekend. Before leaving Caracas, he said he wanted to start right away as a health precaution. The case of Alan Gross, an American subcontractor jailed in Cuba, has come up during the Pope's visit. His wife, Judy Gross, expected the religious leader's time in Cuba to possibly bring back her husband. Many had been hoping that as an act of goodwill, Cuba would reciprocate for a Miami judge's decision to release a Cuban spy, René González, last week. The Pope met with Raúl Castro, but there was no word on particular cases of imprisoned dissidents. Homicide figures greatly fell in El Salvador, one of the most violent countries in Latin America. The sudden drop could potentially be due to an arrangement between the government and gang leaders to stop killings in exchange for better prison conditions. A Salvadoran government official and an intelligence agent say that security officials discussed a deal weeks before gang leaders were transferred to less restrictive prisons. In recent months, killings in El Salvador dropped to five a day or fewer from the average of 14. A 7.1 earthquake hit central Chile Sunday night. It has been the strongest and longest to strike the southern country since a devastating one two years ago. Some people were injured, but there has been no reports of deaths or major damage. It hit the city of Talca, but Santiago and surrounding towns were also shaken. Some neighborhoods lost electrical power and phone use suffered from heavy use. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. Thanks, Vanessa. And now we'll devote the rest of this week's program to the visit of Pope Benedict XVI to Latin America. Joining us to discuss the pontiff's trip is Richard Cole of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, who's just back from Cuba. We're also joined by Jeff Thale, 
Program Director of the Washington Office on Latin America. Gentlemen, welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Last week we started a discussion with Cuba, so let's change the order a bit this week and discuss Mexico first. Going into the Pope's trip, there was a lot of discussion about how he would deal with another of the church's sex scandals, this one in Mexico, but there didn't seem to be much discussion about that during the trip. What did surface was how Benedict was reinforcing the anti-abortion message of some conservative Mexican states. At least that's how the media in the U.S. framed the visit. What are your reactions? Um, My sense is that in speaking about both the visit to Mexico as well as the visit to Cuba, one— this is Richard Cole. Yes, thank you. Uh, One has to emphasize the pastoral and spiritual nature of the Pope's visit and the fact that in going to Mexico, as well as in going to Cuba, uh, the Pope was really addressing a spiritual quest uh, and seeking solidarity with his congregants in that very devout and very religious country in uh, Latin America. And I think that that would explain a fair amount of the emphasis that the Pope brought to bear in terms of both the homilies that he um, addressed to the congregations as well as the message that he was trying to convey, the importance of religious life, the importance of the spiritual life, and how the Holy See wants to stand with the Mexican church in helping them at this time of stress and turmoil that they face as a society. Jeff, any overall reactions? I mean, um, I didn't follow the the Pope's visit to Mexico as closely as I did to the Cuba visit. Um, My sense from the press coverage here is that, uh, you know, as Richard said, that the focus was more spiritual and pastoral, uh, that the the role of the church um, in Cuban society in a society that historically has had a kind of anti-clerical stance has begun to shift. Um, but that beyond that, there wasn't a lot of uh, substantive, uh, there wasn't a focus on political issues. Is it fair for the media to bring up these issues, the sex scandal, the um, issue of abortion in Mexico? Well, it's certainly fair for the uh, to media to bring up whatever issues are um, considered to be of significance given uh, recent events and histories. I think what is, however, important is for the media to realize that those are not the issues that will necessarily be, at this point in time, at the top of the agenda as far as the Vatican is concerned or as far as the Holy See is concerned. I think Jeff puts it very well. This is a very interesting country, a very devout country with also a very complicated history in terms of the relationship between uh, religious society and civil society. And I think the Pope was really focusing on that, reinforcing the spiritual life of his congregants, and um, to that end, really emphasizing those values rather than the other concerns that uh, could be legitimately brought up at this point in time, but but were not at the top of his own particular agenda. Unlike Cuba, there were no overt political messages in what, what I saw the Pope talking about in Mexico, but yet we are just at the end of 12 years of rule by the pond, the 
conservative and pro-Catholic party in Mexico. And there is a panista running um, for president, maybe not as high in the polls as what other panistas have, have polled in the past. Is there a resonance to Pope Benedict's trip even if it's if it's not overtly political, is it symbolically political? Does it have an impact, do you think, on Mexico? I would say that, um, it, as you point out, it was not designed to be overtly political by any means. I think in terms of resonance, there is the resonance that comes from reminding a very faithful population of the importance of religious values and to the extent that those values are consistent with the views of one political party more than another, there will be a natural consequence uh, that will devolve in favor of that party. But again, I think that that was really a very indirect consequence and not the primary objective of the Pope's uh, visit, which was pastoral, spiritual, and uh, an expression of his solidarity with the church in Mexico. Just to comment briefly, I mean, uh, Wola institutionally is very sensitive to the question of interference by outside parties in democratic and electoral processes. And Wola would be the acronym for the Washington Office on Latin America, just for, for our audience to know. Right, thanks. Um, so we're very sensitive to that question because there's been a history in Latin America of that and a history of the U.S. sometimes playing an inappropriate role. Um, so I talked to our Mexico specialist, Maureen Meyer, about this question the other day, and her sense was that that wasn't uh, a major issue. There's been some discussion about it, but it wasn't a major issue in terms of how the visit was perceived in Mexico. One of the things that the Pope did address to some extent was trying to bring hope to the people of Mexico during a time that is a really a bloody and violent period in, in Mexican history. Almost 50,000 people killed during the Calderon administration as part of the drug war. What realistically can the church do during this period um, in trying to help their flock in Mexico during this drug war? Well, I, I think that's a key question that goes to the Pope's message, uh, both in Mexico and in Cuba. What, what can the church offer societies in general, particularly societies under stress as the ones in Mexico and Cuba are? And I believe that what the Pope's message was, was that the Church is not there to provide a particular program of political action, but is there to um, reinvigorate religious and spiritual values, which will strengthen the communities so as to permit individuals who have to make difficult choices in their lives to act in a way that uh, is enlightened and beneficial to themselves, their families, and to the culture as a whole. So I think, to answer your question, in Mexico, what the Church offers is support for those individuals that are um, targeted, targeted by the drug traffickers, by a culture of death, by the um, narcotics uh, threat in their midst, and offers them support for choices that will hopefully uh, help them um, uh, avoid the pitfalls that come from um, being exposed to those kinds of uh, threats. Just one additional comment I'd make. Um, I think for a long time people, uh, Mexican citizens, have felt uh, helpless in the, both in the face of violence by drug traffickers 
and in the face of the government's drug war strategy that apparently uh, has, has exacerbated the problems. And I don't want to get into a big discussion here about the drug war, but I think one of the really um, exciting and positive things in Mexico that we've seen in the last couple of years is the emergence of a victim's movement in which citizens who previously have felt helpless and powerless have sort of uh, led by a poet whose son was killed last year, um, marched and called on the government to take a new approach and rethink how it deals with this issue. And I think what's really central about it is people feeling empowered finally to do something for themselves. And to the extent that the papal visit kind of uh, and its its commitment to to values helps mm-hmm. inspire people to take action in this way and to demand change. I think that's that's a very positive contribution. Exactly, I, I would definitely agree with that, and I think that that was a key aspect of the papal visit: building up religious society, helping to build up civil society, helping to strengthen individuals and families to make the kinds of uh, choices that um, Jeff is talking about here. So if there's less resonance of the Pope's trip in the political sphere, you both see there being resonance inside civil society and helping strengthen civil society in Mexico. Exactly. And I think that's consistent, too, with Pope Benedict's overall um, view of how the Church is to act in the world. He is, of course, a theologian by nature and given to a very broad and long-term view of how the church has acted in history. And I think he sees his contribution as leading the church in this direction at this point in time. One of the things that the Pope did not address, but that the church has had to address in Mexico, is this issue of donations and where they come from. And is there something more that the church can look to in, in how drug traffickers may secretly be trying to support the church. Is there more that the church can do in that regard? Well, I think that's a very um, complex issue, and I I do believe that the Vatican, uh, as well as the local churches, are becoming much more aware of the pitfalls and difficulties that come Um, and the importance of having sophisticated money laundering techniques in place. I think that's a process that is being implemented. I think they are um, sensitive to that concern, and I would expect to see those issues being addressed over time in a way that uh, will solve them. Because isn't there really this battle? We talk about battle for hearts and minds in Mm -hmm. most wars, that in some places cartels mm-hmm. and and the drug lords have tried to replace what the central government can do or what mm-hmm. others can do by building playgrounds and other right. sorts of donations to communities. Yes, and, and indeed, as you point out, that is um, terribly problematic. Um, certainly, that won't solve the long-term problems of civil society. One um, cannot look to the um, sources of the problems for the solutions that will ultimately be beneficial to um, the, the society as a whole. Richard Cole, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, our guest today on Latin Pulse, along with Jeff Thale of the Washington Office on Latin America. Gentlemen, hang on. We have another whole half of the show to get to. Coming up, we will turn our attention to Pope Benedict and his trip to the island nation of Cuba. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. 
Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Our guest today, Richard Cole of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and Jeff Thale of the Washington Office on Latin America. When we went to commercial break, Jeff Thale was asking, I need to make one more point about Mexico before we move on to Cuba. So, Jeff, it's all yours. Thanks. I was frantically signaling. Um, I just wanted to make the point that corruption uh, by drug traffickers is certainly not an issue restricted to the church in Mexico, and that... um, Probably most frighteningly, it's not simply a matter of corruption at the national level or the federal police, but at the local level, at local political parties, at the municipal level. And the the challenge, one of the big challenges for Mexican society, for government and civil society alike, is how to root out that kind of corruption and how to put in place a, a rule of law that actually works. A different sort of civil society challenge in Cuba, and actually the the church has led the way in in being um, a publisher of sorts of different points of view uh, with Vitral and other sorts of um, publications that have really broken the Cuban state's monopoly on information inside Cuba. And now we have the second pope's trip during the Castro brothers' rule. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering, if, to make the segue to Cuba, if we could talk a little bit about the resonance in civil society there. Well, I this think... This is Richard Cole. Thank you. Um, I think that's where the pope's visit had it, its greatest impact. Um, I had the privilege of being both in Santiago and in Havana, um, attending the papal masses, and I was amidst the people talking to them um, as they waited for the Pope to arrive, as they celebrated the, the, the mass, and as they left. And I was deeply moved by all of the people that I spoke to, uh, their uh, keen interest in the papal visits, their desire to, in some cases, reconnect with their spiritual roots, to um, as one uh, individual mentioned to me, to make peace with God, to uh, look to the church and the spiritual life for uh, values that would uh, help them in the challenges that they face as individuals. So, again, coming back to what we were saying about Mexico, less of an express political agenda, very consciously by uh, Pope Benedict, and much more of an emphasis on... um, expressing solidarity with the uh, church, the religious values that it holds dear, and the civil society that it believes must include religious values in order to uh, give meaning to people's lives. I think that you made a really important comment, Rick, talking about um, breaking the the state and the party's monopoly. And, um, you know, I don't think the church is out to break a monopoly as a political project or anything like that. But I think that... That's been a long-term process. It's not like it just happened yesterday type of thing. Right. That's, I think that's exactly it, right. In the there. church's way, a very slow evolutionary yes. process. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, if you look at Cuban society as a whole, the, uh, the notion that, that there is a way other than the party's view 
of looking at the world, not mm -hmm. necessarily looking at politics day by day, but looking at the world, right. is an important part of opening up political thinking, uh, mm -hmm. values, religious thinking, and that part of what strengthens civil society, and civil society in Cuba obviously takes a different shape than it does in some other countries, but what encourages civil society is the notion that there might be different ways to think about things and act on them, and that the church, in, in that sense, has played a really important role in broadening the opportunities for discussion and debate and the idea that you might think about things in a variety of ways and that the choices aren't simply being with the party or against the party, but that there's a whole range of ideas and thoughts other than just those two options. I think that's exactly right, and I think the it 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 builds on the foundation of religious freedom, which the Pope spoke about in his homilies, and how in order for the church to play this role, uh, religious freedom must be protected in order to give the church the space it needs to educate, to speak, to address these concerns, and to give individuals the ability to respond as their consciences dictate in a way that helps them live the values that are of significance from a religious point of view. So. In building religious liberty, one then permeates civil society with the kind of openness that permits democracy, human rights, and freedom to spread even beyond the purely religious activities and across the board of the entire culture. Richard, you're right that, that the Pope had a very subtle message about how politics work in Cuba. It was not very overt when he was there, but quoted before as saying on his way from Mexico mm -hmm. to Cuba, as saying that Marxism no longer works mm -hmm. in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And so there was an immediate reaction from mm -hmm. high-level Cuban officials, not at the level of Raul Castro or Fidel Castro, but on the next level down to that as saying, we're not going to be making political changes, we're making economic changes. So there is more of a political aspect to the Pope's trip to Cuba than there was to Mexico, perhaps. I think that's fair to say. And, and I think even if you look at his homilies, although he did not express any particular view on Marxism per se in his statements, he did talk about the um, um, detrimental consequences of ideologies that are closed uh, and not um, um, open towards uh, free discussion amongst peoples and a recognition of values beyond their own, which many people, uh, I think quite correctly, saw as another indirect criticism of the Marxist system. Um, unavoidable that if you're going to be in Cuba, you do have to, as a matter of, of um, reality, make certain statements that address the difficult situation that the Cuban people find themselves in. But I think the Pope was very wise in making his statements in a broader religious context, which permits uh, all of the individuals, whatever their views, uh, whether they are believers or not believers, to appreciate the importance of uh, human rights and freedom as being central building blocks in building the future of Cuban society. What I read was that there were some parables that may have been making those connections that it depends on how you read into what the Pope was saying in those parables. Um, just to back up before we get to the parables sure. for a second, on the Marxist ideology point, um, I think it's actually interesting that while there's this comment about we're not looking toward political reform, 
Um, there wasn't any particular pushback about the Marxist ideology question. I think it's probably fair to say that the kind of ideological rigidity that might have once characterized Cuba no longer characterizes it in the same way. And I don't mean by that that, you know, multi-party elections are happening tomorrow. But I think that um, uh, there's greater openness to change and greater flexibility than there once was in Cuba, and that's a good thing. Well, the Cubans have opened up their market. Right. They are selling real estate now, and there have been quite a bit of economic right. change. Right. I mean, pretty clearly there's a real process of, of economic change underway in Cuba. And Raul Castro has been quoted repeatedly as saying it will happen uh, <clears throat> without hurry but without stopping. And I think that's pretty clearly true. The other quick question, though, comment, though, is that, um, you know, the, I don't think we should read too much into the we're not going to have political reform here in Cuba kind of comment because the truth is the economic reform is being accompanied by a process of decentralization that will almost inevitably mm -hmm. permit greater debate internally and locally. Um, the economic changes were widely debated before they were before the the guidelines setting them out were approved. So I don't think um, I think the comment was a reaction to the notion. You know, there's there's sort of a set of people who wanted to argue that the Pope was going to come and it was going to transform Cuba from today till tomorrow. And I don't think the Pope ever intended that. And I don't think that that's really what was going on in the process. And I think the response was more directed to that than to any real comment about Cuba's ongoing process of reform. This raises the central theme of what we talked about a lot on last week's program, the controversy over whether the Pope would meet with the dissident community. Is there some reaction from either of you about... Um, the criticism of the Pope for not meeting with the ladies in white or other dissidents on the island. Of course. Uh, I think Jeff, first to, to come back to Jeff's point, I think it's an excellent point. I think that we in the United States, uh, given our own political traditions, tend to want to see um, actions taken in response to certain um, um, political uh, events and uh, uh, developments. And we lose sight of the fact that in most countries of the world, particularly in countries like Mexico, like Cuba, that have very complicated uh, cultural, civil, religious histories, that change occurs over a fairly long period of time. Uh, and it will come as a result of, of small things that will bear fruit. For instance, the church is sponsoring an MBA program through a Spanish university in Havana to train the future generation of capitalists and economists. I think that's where one has to focus on. And to address your point, uh, in terms of the dissidents, um, I do know that um, the Pope um, is, of course, very supportive of the human rights process in Cuba. Unfortunately, he frankly could not meet with everybody that, that would have wanted to, to have met with him there. I think his time was extremely limited. That wasn't meant to send any signals in terms of uh, the value that he uh, accorded to various elements of Cuban society. And I think even his homilies have addressed the point of um, uh, the need for um, str strengthening dialogue and um, the role of uh, individuals that uh, hold divergent views within society and the importance that they play in helping to structure a healthy and sound political system. Because we're talking about limited time, we have limited time too. Jeff Thale, any closing comment that you'd like to make? Just a quick comment on that one that I think um, 
the Pope made clear in his remarks that um, uh, that not just religious liberty, but liberty in general is important to him. I think the clear implication of that is that he likes to see movement on human rights. But that saying that does not require that you have a meeting with the the, the Damas in Blanco or with the dissident community as part of the visit. Exactly. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Our guest today, Jeff Thale of the Washington Office on Latin America and Richard Cole of the U.S. Conference on Catholic Bishops, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>